Well, thank you for being here. And as you have heard, I'm a guest today. And, um, but my heart's been encouraged even as we sang that last song. Um, I, I, I'm just curious, how many of you need the Lord to revive your own heart? Yeah, me too. I, uh, man, it's been a hard three, four weeks for me personally. Um, we just have had a number of circumstances that just have made, uh, um, I'm having to function. You ever have to function without being able to drink at the well? I mean, you gotta obey. You just gotta keep going. And yet your heart's a little dry. Thanks, brother. I just appreciate Jalen and the team and everyone up here. And um, that last song, The Lord's in This Place. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is, is uh, the spirit of God dwells in us and he doesn't forsake us. Are you glad for that? And I just think of a couple things in my own heart. I was just, I was just singing. I was like, Lord, you, you just, I am your, I am your child. I am yours. Just keep on. Would you just, just hold on to me? Would you revive my heart? I think of every person here from both of the churches represented here. Every single one of us have different stories. We have different, we're at different places in life. And yet I just want you to be encouraged that God wants to revive those who are his. He doesn't want us just to fade out. He wants us actually to walk with him into his presence. And uh, I'm just so thankful for what's going on. So I'm from a whole different context than Atlanta. You want to know that? I'm from Utah. Who's ever been, who's, who's ever been to Utah? Just put your hand up. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So usually I tell people I was born in Idaho and only two people raised their hands. So Utah is an upgrade. And uh, we used to, I, I left Idaho in the 90s. I went to a little Bible college in the Northwoods, Wisconsin, and uh, God just changed my life. I then traveled all over the United States preaching in different churches. And yet the Lord was working our heart to go back to where I grew up and help get a church planted in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, there, there's not a lot of Christians in Salt Lake City. Did you know that? Uh, it's the least evangelized state in all of the United States of America, but God's on the, wor- God's on the march. He's doing awesome works. I mean, there's more, there's more Christians today in Utah than has ever been in history. Uh, it's just an awesome thing to be a part of what God's doing. And so uh, myself and three other men, we were able to, with their fam- our families and about 40 folks from all over the United States, they moved out to Utah and we planted Gospel Grace Church. And that was an intentional name. Because in Utah, you've got this phenomenon happening. You've got a, a, a very intense legalistic worldview culture. And then there's people leaving the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when they leave, they, they, don't, they don't just leave and get saved. They leave and they go way over here. And so you've got this intense, um, this intense secularism and this ten, intense religion. And we're like, we need to to communicate God's grace for all people. And aren't you glad that God's grace, his good news of grace is good enough for the religious. And his good news of his grace is good enough for the secular. And that's what we wanted to be. We just want to be gospel grace. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of our story because it's got some intersects even here. Or uh, then, then a little bit uh, a time went by, about four years, and we began to pray about planting another church. 
We got another team together. We got some people coming up out of Gospel Grace. And then we got people coming from outside. And we started looking around Salt Lake City. And we found a spot that didn't have a lot of gospel. But there was one or two churches. So I called them up. I said, hey, we're looking at Plantin somewhere five, ten minutes away. And we just want you to know. And uh, there was a Trinity Baptist church. And as I reached out to the pastor, he'd been there for about 30 years. He had planted the church. And the church had never quite broken out of the 50-60 barrier. They just, they just would come up to about 50-60 and kind of struggle and come up to 50-60, start to struggle, but they'd build a building and they'd had a, um, they had some faithful folks there. And, and he called me back. He said, Will, you can't plant a church down here. If you do, half our church will go to your church. He said, Probably my wife. He said, but what if we did a partnership? I said, what do you mean? He goes, no, seriously. He goes, well, I'm going to have to retire soon. Um, I'm just, uh, and by the way, as this partnership unfolded, he was diagnosed with cancer the following week after they, they formalized that partnership. God knew what, what was going on. God knew what needed to happen. But anyway, he said, let's do a partnership. He said, he, he, we're in this area. We've been faithful. We've been serving God here. And there's people that attend. And, and there's some facilities here and stuff. But you, you've got this new surge, this new help of, of, of people. What if we did a partnership? And as we began to work through all the details, do you want to know what their name is? Are you ready for this? Their name is Gospel Hope. Can you believe that? Now, I, I guess that, that uh, the folks at Gospel Hope have gotten a little angry at us, but they've, uh, we let them have the whole website, so they're okay now, right? So, but you know what? It was, a, it, it was a specific targeted name. That The high school just across the street is just known in Salt Lake City for suicides and dis, de, depression, and, and, and there's, there's so many other factors I won't go into, but you know, that, that church, as they just came together and partnered, they wanted just the community to know that the good news of hope was enough for that community right there. It's a beautiful thing. I preached there last week, so I, I'm probably the only guy in the whole world that gets to preach at two different gospel hopes within two weeks. And there was a community of people. Guys, you gotta remember, there was just, they're just coming up to 50, right? And you gotta know our context, Utah, but you know what? There were 150 people there this last Sunday. And I'm telling you, people in the, there were people in the assembly that had just trusted Christ not just three, four months ago. And God's work. God's at work. God's just t- taking broken people like all of us. He's just letting us serve him. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And God delights in taking hurt and broken things and putting them all back together. Since we're talking about gospels, in this last uh, six months ago, we got to see another group of about 70 folks come together, and we sent them up to Logan, Utah. That's a town of less than 1% evangelical. And by God's grace, there's another church, Gospel Peace. We're thankful for the Lord just doing a work in Utah. And you know what? God wants to do a work there, and God wants to do a work right here. You know, uh, there's something afoot in the South, isn't there? It's not like it used to be. The secularism, the atheism, all of the other, the other isms that take away from what's, what we once knew is really a Bible Belt mentality. There is a need 
There is a need for fresh church plants. There's a need for revitalized and awakened churches. There's a need for healthy churches just reaching out. You know, I met a lot of people all over this community. And you know what? Guess what? Georgia needs the gospel too. And I'm so thankful for congregations like these two churches that are just saying, hey, how can we advance, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, how is it that we can take the gospel into the next generation I mean, there's enough things that are taking place in our culture, whether it's on the news or whether it's in our own backyard, where sometimes we just wonder, is the gospel of Jesus Christ still sufficient for today? And I just want to remind us that it is. Can I pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for First Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for Gospel Hope Church. Thank you for just the leadership of, of both assemblies. Thank you for the faithful people. Thank you for their heart for you. I pray, Lord, they'd be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. I was sitting on a plane, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was gonna go to Southern Utah. A friend of mine was getting ordained, and so I was gonna fly into Vegas and then drive up to this little town in Utah and go to his ordination. And, and I'd been preaching all week. We were at a Christian camp, and so the, the staff training week was that week, and so I was preaching all day long, like, like three times a day, I was worn out. I'd, I'd already done, spoke my 25,000 words for each and every day, you know? And I'm sitting there on that plane. It's going to be a red-eye flight. It's going to be leaving about 10, 10 p.m. And it's supposed to get into Vegas sometime early in the morning. And, and I, just, I just wanted to sleep. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I mean, I just want to sleep. I, I'm sure none of you have ever felt that unspiritual before, right? And I'm sitting on this plane. There's like one empty chair. And I, I just knew it was too good to be true. I'm just sitting there hoping, hoping, hoping that I'm going to have nobody next to me. I'm just and then he walked in. I mean, I just knew it. Right when he walked in, I just knew it. I mean, he's a big dude. I just knew it. He's coming down. He's sitting right there. I just knew it. And he's walking down. He's Mr. Gregarious. I mean, he's just talking, talking, talking. I mean, he's making friends, high-fiving everyone down. I'm like, oh, he's sitting by me. I know he's good. He sat right by me. And he just starts talking. We get up to cruising altitude. I mean, he's just going. I haven't said one word. I'm just, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, yes. He goes, so what do you do for a living? I have this little phrase I say when I'm on a plane. It just kind of puts the parameters real nice for me and stuff. I, so I said, well, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes, really? He goes, are you Catholic or Protestant? I was like, well, uh, technically neither, but from your perspective, Protestant. He goes, I know everything there is to know about Catholics and Protestants. I grew up Catholic, but then I went to a Protestant university, and I took all the religion and the philosophy classes, and he, and he just kept talking. I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He goes, you know what? Martin Luther should have left the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, the indulgences and all those things. But you know what? You know what? There is so much in common with Catholics and Protestants. Don't you think that all Catholics and all Protestants ought to work together I said well Martin Luther left the Roman Catholic Church because of what was written in Romans and Galatians have you ever read the book of Galatians and he goes I am just fine now that's all I did I just asked if he read Galatians 
I didn't get snarky. I didn't do anything. And he goes, I am just fine. And so I just thought maybe I wasn't clear. And I said, well, well, have you? And he goes, I am just fine. And he turns from talking to me and he rotates the person on the other side of him and he starts talking about me with that same awkward, loud voice. And the people in front are turning and looking at me and giving me the look of shame. Mm. And the people on the other side, they're looking at me like this. And I know people behind me are talking about me because I can like, my scalp's itchy, you know? And I don't know what you do in those circumstances, but I, I just started laughing. Seriously, I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, ha, 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 does a Christian get pegged and they stop talking? They just kind of go through the motions. They just kind of show up at the workplace and try not to shake it up. They, they're just really quiet neighbors. They don't, they don't say anything. I mean, how, how many times does a Christian have to get pushed back before they lose heart? And you know, there's been so many circumstances the last three or four years in our country that, I mean, sometimes I, I just lose heart. I mean, how, how many of you have ever been watching the news and you just turned it off depressed? How many times have you been involved in a conversation? You're like, I don't even know a way forward. I don't even know if the gospel works. I mean, I, I know the gospel works, and when I'm in church, I act like the gospel works. But deep down inside, sometimes I wonder, does the gospel work? Anyone else struggle with that? I mean, come with me back to Utah, and right now we've got the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they're saying they're, they're, they're just Christian. They're saying the same words. I mean, sometimes you get in a conversation, and you wonder if you're ever going to make it through. And I just think that we're in an era where we're just wondering, does, does Jesus still work? I mean, or, or does Jesus only work when I come to church? And then I sing songs about Jesus, but when I go out, I don't know if Jesus is sufficient. And I just want to remind every person here that Jesus still works because Jesus is the king. I'm telling you, the message of Christ is still sufficient today. And in 2 Corinthians, if you'll turn there, you're going to see how that, that, that Paul is under attack. He's got these, these false teachers who are actually saying, no, Paul, you're the false teacher. Paul, you're timid. You're weak. And, and I don't know if that really works, Paul. And I, I don't know if you really should be talking to us. In fact, Paul the apostle, he, we find out later in 2 Corinthians, he, he faced afflictions and imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and hunger and sleepless nights and constant pressure about different churches and, and the false teachers are attacking him and yet Paul just stands there and goes, no, 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 the message of Christ is still sufficient today. And so what I'd like to do this morning to move us along is just give us two points. And they were quite simple. It, it, to, to really answer the question, it, to, to live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ to our culture, we, we must have these two things, a, a ministry that's authentic and a message that exalts Christ. 
We, we must have a ministry that's authentic, that is transparent. It's like people just must see the gospel that's been a work in our own hearts. And then we just need to preach Christ. I mean, that's the, that's the simplicity of what it is to be a Christian in impacting our culture is that it must be a, a gospel that is so trickled down into our own heart that our lives are different, that we're just a different people and people can see us and there's nothing to hide. And then when we get the opportunity, we just speak Christ. We just live as salt in an authentic, transparent way way, but then we're light when God gives us the opportunity. And so in 2 Corinthians 1, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world that blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, to live a life that communicates the sufficiency of Christ to the culture that's around us, we must have a ministry that is authentic. We see that in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I I just want to tell you something. Our culture is no longer asking, is Christianity true? You know, the postmodern culture that we live in, like you've got a little bit of truth and I got a little bit of truth and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And and how many of you have ever been in like a a circumstance where you were just sharing your opinion on things of faith and someone just said, well, just bless you. Oh, God bless your heart. Bless your heart. Who's ever been there before? It's like they took their patronizing hand and they just patted you on the head and they're like, oh, that is so nice that you have those things to share. Oh, that is wonderful. And everyone's got their own little opinion. And, and they say their opinion and I say my opinion. And in fact, how many of you have, even in this last three, four years, you don't even know which news media is true? How, how many of you are like that? Like someone over there is saying something, you're like, I don't know. So you go down a couple and look at theirs and you're like, I don't know. We don't even know what's true around us. You see, we're so permeating our whole culture and everyone's opinion, opinion is just as powerful as somebody else's opinion. And the pluralism is so strong. Do you know that people aren't asking, is Christianity true? They're asking, is it real? They're asking, has has it changed your life? Do do you know how many people who have an opinion have a broken life? Do you know that? You know, know, the the, the Zoom calls, you know, isn't it funny how everyone like, there's like Zoom wear now, you know, like you got, like people got the suits on, but they're still in their boxers. Every once in a while they get caught. You know, that's what our culture's like. Everybody looks awesome. You're like, wow, that's a really strong and good opinion. And then you go get with them and you go sit down with them at lunch and you say, tell me your story. And they just start talking about their brokenness and they start talking about their hurt and their pain and how life was falling apart. Can I tell you, this culture may look awesome, but they still need Jesus. 
This culture may look like it's all put together. It still needs Jesus. This, this culture is just longing for somebody to push past all the opinions and get down to what is real. And what Paul does is he says, no, you must have a ministry that's authentic, but an authentic ministry is possible because we've received this ministry from God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, and in fact, the therefore, at the very beginning, if you wanted a dad joke, an exegetical dad joke, it's like whenever you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for. Good job. And if you go back two chapters... You see what it's there for. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of God by the will of God. Chapter 2, verse 17, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This ministry is not of ourselves. Later on, he says, we preach not ourselves. We're tempted to lose heart or become frightened or respond with cowardice when we forget that this ministry is from God. Like, like if this was all about you, of course you should fold when the culture confronts you. Of course you should go fetal and go to the ground and, and go, I'm, I'm done. Because if it is about you, you don't have enough. It's just your opinion versus their opinion. But this authentic ministry we can have is possible because we, refer, we received it from God. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 3. Here Paul is being attacked. And he goes, are we beginning to commend ourselves? Like, like Paul's like, do, do I? So you're attacking me saying I'm lame and I'm weak and whatever. And he says, do I just kind of try to defend myself? He goes, no, I'm not going to defend myself. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to appeal to you all, the congregation of Corinth that's had your life changed. And look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. You ourselves are our re letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you Show that you are uh, our letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Do you know what Paul's doing here? He's, he's saying, okay, you're attacking me. Then you explain to me how there are changed lives out here. You know what? You want to know what made me teary this morning? seeing you all sing. Because there are changed lives out here. I love what one old timer, he said this. He goes, I'm not what I ought to be. Can anyone identify? And he said, but I'm not what I used to be. And I am what I am by the grace of God. <laughs> And you know what Paul's doing? He goes, okay, you can attack me, but let me tell you something. The reason why we can just be transparent and real because this is not about me. This ministry is from God and look around. It results in new life. He goes on in chapter three, he says, who, talking about God, has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And then he goes on this riff. He just starts comparing. So the old covenant, I mean, it's a letter of the law. It's a ministry of death. It's written on tables of stone. The glory of God is veiled because this new covenant we have in Christ, it's of the spirit. It's a ministry of life, freedom, soft hearts, unveiled. This new life, it gives, it gives life. It produces righteousness. It's permanent. It brings hope. It's clear. It's energized by the spirit. It's transforming all because the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
fact, NIV reads it this way in verse 9. He says, if the ministry that brought us condemnation was glorious, he's saying, okay, those of you that look to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and you're saying, all that is glorious, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So we are preaching in a sister church in Salt Lake City. And as I was preaching, there's one lady. I mean, she's like all smiles. And my wife was doing music that morning. And so Christy must have saw her too, because like we triangulated after the service. We're like, okay, what's this lady got that we don't? I mean, what she's on something, what's going on? And so we triangulate, we get talking to her and we said, what's your story? And she goes, well, she goes, 20 years ago, I got, I got married in the temple. And, um, and she starts talking about all the religion stuff. And she goes, but something was missing. Something was, something was missing my heart. So I walked into this church with my, my friend. And, and me and my friend, we came in here. And we said, Pastor, can you just do a little Bible study with us? Because we want to know the Bible. Because we're in this religion, but it's not, it, something's off. And we just want to know Jesus more. And can we do a Bible study? And so this pastor, I mean, he, he's like, go big or go home type. He's like, okay, let's go through the book of Romans. And this pastor starts going through the book of Romans with these two ladies. And as he's going through the book of Romans, about halfway through, this friend of this lady we were talking to, she just bailed. She's like, this is going to cost me too much. This lady we were talking to, she puts her faith and trust in Christ. She gets baptized. She joins. She's like, she's just grown in grace. Her husband leaves her. She loses her job. She did lose. And then as a, an aside, right in the middle of this conversation, he goes, oh, I did run into my friend just a little bit ago. And we were talking in the grocery store, and she looked at me and she said, you know, I just miss you. And it, it just feels like you're dead. And this lady, she goes, and I looked at her and I said, I did die. But I've been raised with Christ, and now I'm alive. Do you want to know what cuts through all cultures? gospel like the religious culture of utah you know what just just knocks people's self-righteousness down and builds them up in the righteousness of jesus the gospel you know what takes the atheist of our culture and reveals the depravity and and really the determinism that results in just a, a fatalism and actually puts joy and life in their heart you know what does that the gospel you want to know what cuts through formality and a cultural christianity of the south is preaching the real gospel because people are broken and bankrupt and they can't keep up and they're trying to measure up to everyone around them and they know something's wrong in their own heart. You know what Paul would say to that? He goes, you just need to have a ministry that's authentic and you can because it's from God and it results in new life and is a manifestation of God's mercy. Going back to our original text, what does he say? Having this ministry by the mercy of God. Have any of you ever been sitting somewhere and thought, why did you show me mercy? You know, Utah's funny. Uh, Mormons aren't supposed to drink coffee. So if I go to Starbucks and I'm sitting there, all the people in there are usually the the really non-non-Mormon. 
And there's often, I'll be sitting in a coffee shop and from any outward means of seeing, I'm the only follower of Jesus Christ. Why did God let me be born into a Christian family? Why was I not born in Islamabad? You're coaching Tokyo, Shanghai. Why did God let me taste mercy? You know, Paul, he loves that theme. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent but I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Why is it that we receive mercy? And yet that's why there can be such a, a transparent boldness. That's why there can be such an authenticity because this is not your own message. This isn't something you're trying to create. This is something you receive from God that put new life in you. That's a manifestation of mercy. And that's why when we're tempted to lose heart, we must be reminded that it's all of God's mercy that he's called us here. You see, we faint when there's a bit of opposition. We faint when there's a little bit of a pushback, when we think that somehow we've earned the right to be here. I think sometimes we can look at all of our behavior and we look at all of our service of God and we can give ourselves a little pat on the back and say, look all that we've done for God. I think of this, this church, this uh, Trinity Baptist Church back in Utah, and they're tempted to say, look what we've done, look what we've done. Or you look at the, the church plant, us, and we're like, look what we've done and look what we've done. But I'm going to tell you something, inward looking like like that's not going to sustain us. Sam Storns said this, if you, if you should ever think that your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. Can I read it again? If you ever think your position in the kingdom of God is a reward rather than a gift, there will be little to sustain you in seasons of hardship and anguish. And so we must have a ministry that's authentic. But you know what? Authentic ministry is visible when we practice this ministry with integrity. We just have to be honest. We have nothing to hide. We're just sharing what the king gave us. We're just ambassadors. I mean, he says in verse two, but we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. Earlier, back in chapter two, he says, we are not like many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ, disgraceful, underhanded ways, sneaky, shameful. You know what? It's a, a terrible thing that's going on in Utah right now. The Church of Jesus Christ wants to be so perceived as just another branch of evangelicalism. 
I just had a, a Mormon apologist who got up in front of 40 students, and this is how he opened. He said, I just want you to know at the very beginning that I believe that Jesus and the Father are equal and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and rose again from the dead and that his finished work on the cross is enough for me to live. And I don't trust in any of my own works, but just in Jesus alone. That's what he said. But you know what, if we were to sit him down and say, so what do you mean by the atonement? He would say this. Now, I don't mean penal substitutionary atonement where Jesus Christ actually substituted for us. What I mean is, is that Jesus Christ in the garden, he struggled and he sweat drops of blood. And if you too struggle and you too try hard enough, you too can receive the atonement like Jesus had. In fact, I pushed in a little bit and I said, so do you say, are you Trinitarian then? Do you say that the Father and the Son are equal in all ways and, that, and they're actually one? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I think of the Trinity as a unity of purpose. Deceitful, underhanded. But I've got some questions for you. Does the South have any deceitful or underhanded preachers? Yes or no? All too many. But that's not us. <laughs> In fact, we just, we're going to just say what it says. We're just going to preach the book. We're not going to have the disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not going to practice cunning trickery. We're not going to tamper with God's word. We're not going to be peddlers. We just want to preach the word. And this authentic ministry is visible when we practice this ministry with integrity. And so we're just honest and we're just transparent. He says in verse two, with by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And Paul's just saying, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. Everything that you see is what you get. I have nothing to hide. I, it could be that you're a friend or a guest here and you just came to honor you know, gospel hope, or you came here to First Baptist and you're saying, I just want to participate in this service. Can I tell you something? If for the first time you're understanding how it is that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, like that's it. Like we don't have like a little secret room where we take you and we teach you the secret dab. Like we don't have like a, a secret handshake that like real Christians get. This has, been the, the, the new, this has been a bestseller for thousands of years, and this is all we believe. And so we're just transparent. We're just real. We just commend ourselves. This is all we have to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so what do we see? to impact the culture around us for the years to come, to demonstrate that the message of Christ is sufficient today. We just, we just communicate that this, that to our culture that Christ is sufficient by having a ministry that's authentic. And then just number two, we just preach Christ. We just declare a message that exalts Christ. You know, the enemy seeks to blind the hearts of believers, of unbelievers. He says in verse three and four, and even if our gospel's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God's world had blind the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Paul's saying, I've been so transparent. I've been so authentic. I mean, I've just preached the word from Christ and look at all these people that as their lives have been changed, we've just received mercy from God. This ministry is from God. I mean, it's just wide open. We're just gonna live our life in an authentic, transparent manner. But he says, it's so out there that if somebody doesn't see Christ, it's because the enemy has actually come in and has veiled them or blinded them to keep them from seeing the gospel. The enemy is blinding people to the facts of the gospel. You know, we live in a, in a culture that so wants to separate, that so wants to separate, let me grab this water right here, that so wants to separate what's going on in this church building to the rest of life. I mean, our, our culture wants to remove the theological truths of the gospel from common day life. The, the, the enemy doesn't want people to hear about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The, the enemy doesn't want people to hear about the ascension and the return and the lordship of Jesus Christ. But you know what, then, then the enemy, if, if the, the facts of the gospel get into people's lives, he, he, wants to, he wants to blind people from the need of the gospel. He just wants people to be uh, just inoculated with enough little gospel-ish stuff. You know, from my perspective, um, from Utah, you know, people in Utah, they, they think that everyone in the South is a Christian. Did you know that? Everyone is a Christian in the South. Did you know that? I was preaching in Myrtle Beach, South, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and I was just doing a like gospel message, just straight up good news of Jesus. And this good old boy, he was walking out and he just goes, Brother Will, Brother Will, you just blessed my heart. I mean, you just blessed my heart. I said, well, it's great. I'm glad your heart was blessed. Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? He goes, now, Brother Will, my daddy is, is like, a, he was a trustee at such and such Creek Baptist Church. And my uncle, he was, a, he was a founding charter member of such and such Creek Baptist Church. And I just want you to know that you just blessed my heart. And I said, sir, but have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? You know, Brother Will, I got to get going. I'll see you later on this week. You know, sadly, sometimes just a little bit of gospel truth mixed in with a whole lot of self blinds people. You know, the, the enemy, they, they blind people through many means. I mean, wrong thinking, false philosophy, superstitions, materialism, sensual passions. But the enemy is blinding people to the glory of Christ. That's what he says here. He says, in the case of the God of this world, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's in the image of God. You see, that's the real blinding. I mean, at the end of the age, we know in Philippians that in the name of Jesus, right? He, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, heaven, earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father because the enemy is ultimately blinding people to the lordship of Jesus. We live in a culture that wants all the blessings of Christianity without submitting to the lordship of Christ. 
We live in a culture that wants all of the positives without submitting themselves to Jesus. And when you combine the problem of blindness with the timidity of God's people, there's a real problem. And that's why we preach Christ, because only God can cause the blind to see. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, verse 6, 5, verse 5, and then 6, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let the sh light shine out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. You know, from one perspective, we look at that, and right away we're just reminded, yeah, the blindness is too deep. Yes, the darkness is too much. Yes, the hardness is too settled. I mean, it's just too rough. Only God can do this and at first we're a little bit passive God's going to change him when God's going to change him But as we begin to meditate on the creation motif that he gave us, remember verse 6, for God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, talking about creation, there's just darkness, and what does God say? Let there be light. And just like God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You know what begins to happen? We begin to have some optimism. We're like, wait a minute. There's no darkness that's too dark for the light of God. There's no blindness that, that is too great for the miracle working work of Jesus. In fact, I've got a question how many of you, like, if it was just based on human reasoning, you should still be lost in your sins? How many of you, you were just too dark for God, right? All of us. And yet God delights in turning on the light. How many of you know somebody that it seems like almost impossible for them to, to be saved. It seems so impossible for them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, none, there is no one beyond the power of God. You see, God shines light, which is the glory of Christ. It's Jesus, the exalted Christ, who is seen, equal with the Father, the glory of Jesus and all of his righteousness. And then we know of that through the knowledge of the gospel. The gospel goes into the heart and into the mind. We see and we believe. Paul knows what it was like to be blinded. He knows what it was like to be going down the road to Damascus. Here he was in his self-righteousness. He's going to go kill some more Christians. Just think about that for a moment. He's righteous because he's breaking the law. He's going to go kill some Christians in the name of God. And there he goes, and Jesus meets him and shines there on the road to Damascus. And here he is. He knows, he knows that this is God. And he just says, who are you? And what does God say? Jesus says, it's me, Jesus, the Christ. And what does Paul do? 
He collapses. The battle's over. And that's why we as Christians, we just preach Christ. And in verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And we preach Jesus, the incarnate Savior. We preach Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We preach Jesus Christ, the Lord, resurrected to a position of lordship. This is the good news that we, dead in our trespasses and sins, can be alive through Christ, us hardened in our, the deceitfulness of sin can have hearts that are massaged into hearts that love Jesus. That is the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus conquers our sin, but he changes our life and he allows us to live for the glory of God and have right relationships that are reconciled all around us. In fact, look what he does in 2 Corinthians 5. Later on, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. In verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you know what happens? When we're rightly reconciled with God, we are on a mission to bring more people into that same family so they too can enjoy the blessings of God. I have a friend and um, he's done all these videos all over the, the world. And they're like missions focused videos. And one of the videos, he went to Albania. And Albania is just, um, well, it's a, a smaller Eastern Bloc country that uh, the Ottoman Empire took over, and so 50% of the country is Muslim, but then the other half is predominantly atheist, and it was kind of this blend of Islam and communism and atheism, and, and right when um, the country opened up its borders, he went right in, and by God's grace, they've seen multiple churches planted. I mean, it's just a, a real miracle. I mean, it's just like like just an unbelievable miracle. My friend's videoing him, and I don't think my friend meant to like say it this way, but he goes, so it was almost like, so what's your secret? Or like, what's your strategy? Or, you know, like, what's your, you know, what are you doing to, to do this great work in Albania? And um, he was interviewing David Hasefluk, who was just like, he's so unassuming. He's just so like, like just, just real. And he goes, well, he goes, first I wake up. And I pray, and I tell people about Jesus. You know, on the most basic level, like for some, it's just waking up is good. But then to pray, like, Lord, would you just let me live out the gospel and just be salt and just, do, just make a difference in our broken society? Just help me just live out the gospel. Will you, will you just let me maybe open up a conversation where I could speak the gospel? Can I just live and speak the gospel? And I'm just going to trust you, just like you did in creation. You just spoke and there was light. And just like you did in my own heart when I received mercy and you, you took a sinner and you saved me, I'm just, I just 
want you to work. You know, First Baptist Church, Gospel Hope Church, there are so many great needs right here. Like, like just push out all the little church buildings we see, and pretty soon we see a lot of people that still need Jesus right here, don't we? And what if by God's grace, we just collectively like woke up, prayed, and told people about Jesus. And all God's people say, let's pray together. Father, thank you for an opportunity just to celebrate five years. Lord, thank you for an opportunity just to enjoy this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work with their heads bowed, I just, I'm just curious, with their heads bowed, who would lift their hand and say, Will, I've got, a, I got somebody I'm burdened about. There are people that I just, I would love to, I'd love to see them see Jesus over the next five years. Who'd say, Will, it's, it's, I, I, I got some, some serious relationships that I just want them to see Jesus. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, Will, there's people in my life, I just want them to see Jesus. Would you begin to pray for them? Would you pray for DeKalb County? Would you pray for inside the perimeter here? Would you pray? Would you pray that God would do a big work here in Atlanta? And there's been some great churches in Atlanta, but, but we all know that right now we're struggling. Let's pray that God just does a great work for his own glory's sake.